I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. Pete Barma felt the overwhelming rush of vulnerability as she and her wife Brett sat at the premiere of their short film, Pete, at the Tribeca Film Festival. The same vulnerability she faced when she took an enormous leap over 20 years ago. My swan dive for me is both my worst moment in life and my best moment in life, leaving a lovely person and, and risking everything I'd worked hard for and, and not feeling like a very good person, you know, when you meet someone else. So trying to balance my worst moment and my best moment all at the same time. But in that, I found that clarity. Clarity, courage, and a little kid named Pete who just wanted to play ball. Welcome to Swan Dive. From the Peacock and Park Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, and coming to you from Costa Rica, from the fancy nasty studios, it's Ron Rothberg and Stu Sheldon, and this is another finally edition of Swan Dive. After a few months or weeks of living, uh, we're back and cracking the mics and seeing these beautiful faces just lights me up. Hello, Stuart Sheldon. Hey, Ron. Yes, my friend. It has been a few months, but you know, life is nonlinear. This art project, this podcast is nonlinear and we got to make space for all the things that we're doing and feeling and you've been on the move. Yeah. Traveling the world. Uh, I've been you know, going through some big life events and, uh, it's all been good growth, um, for sure on my end. Um, but you're the one that just got back from Europe and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So how are you feeling? You know, it's the waxing and waning of the moon, right? Sometimes life becomes a chore and sometimes it's the joy, right? And some, I just felt into this, fell into this void of chore, uh, versus joy. And we went to New York, uh, for a family event, uh, we were in New York City. We were celebrating my niece's 18th birthday. We were at Tavern on the Green. And after dinner, right next to Central Park, there's this free concert, and it's Herbie Hancock. And our other niece is there, the 20-something Morgan, with all her friends. Uh, she lives in Brooklyn. She goes to NYU Nursing School. And it was magic. The magic of the city, the infectious enthusiasm of being around 20-somethings, laying on blankets in Central Park, drinking wine and listening to free music from Herbie Hancock. And I just looked around and I was just so excited and infected with uh, that joy and enthusiasm of youth. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And then it got even better because the Sunday of that weekend, randomly, we were able to connect with a lifelong friend who happened to have a big life event in her life with the release of a brand new film. This lifelong friend happens to be our guest today on Swan Dive. Please welcome Petey Barma. Hello. 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 Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's nice to meet you, Stu. See and, you. I've heard your voice. I have never seen you. So. Yes. Well, it's a pleasure. And pleasure is all mine, I assure you. So, Petey, we happen to be in New York. We're texting uh, weeks prior. Um, tell us why you were in New York that weekend. 
Um, well, to be honest, uh, still fascinates me. It still shocks me. It still surprises me. While I was in New York, I was there for the Tribeca Film Festival. Um, somehow, uh, I made a little film with my wife and somehow Whoopi Goldberg saw that film and decided she liked it. He turns out <laughs> is a curator for the animation shorts program at Tribeca. And, um, and then we found ourselves there oh meeting Whoopi and being in Tribeca and, uh, showing our, our little short animated film. And really, to be honest, if you had asked me a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, uh, if Tribeca was on my my radar uh, of a possibility, it, d- it definitely was not. There's a lot to unpack right there. You got the fancy of Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, she's a big fan of animation. Uh, and, and your film, Pete, uh, was part of the, um, uh, the festival she curated there. What was it like? You know, we all do art for the joy of doing it. There's a story inside you, right, that you want to get out. But what was it like to actually be invited, um, sit there and shake hands with Whoopi and actually see other people enjoying your work of art? First of all, that was the most vulnerable I think I've ever felt in my life. Um, I teach, I tell stories constantly, um, but seeing your suddenly you're a little part of your own life, it's a it's an autobiographical piece um on the screen and seeing yourself as a little cartoon or hearing your own voice um not something also i took uh, a liking to to hear my own voice narrate something so it, it felt extremely vulnerable um but you know to be honest uh oddly whoopee who i never thought i think i grabbed a hold of her and it, it kind of wouldn't let go but she she was really comforting going into the film um mainly it coming from the perspective as an educator, I've been a lifelong teacher 33 years in and uh, it spoke to her granddaughter. So that made me feel much calmer and um, at ease with the whole idea behind it. Cause that's was part of the intention to speak to families, to speak to, um, to make it digestible for people and their own lives to see themselves. And so if she could tell me that it spoke to her, nine-year-old granddaughter, I, I felt much, much better going into the, the moment. Hmm. What do you think it said to her nine-year-old daughter or granddaughter? You know, the interesting uh, the story behind it is that she had plopped down to ask if she could watch the film with her. And in a lot of film festival films, sometimes maybe aren't always age appropriate. And so, you know, would, would be like, sure, take a peek. Um, and at the end of the, the film, and not giving anything away, her her granddaughter is like, well, I have a Pete at school, and uh, and uh, Whoopi was like, I hope you're nice to her, and she was like, oh, she's my friend, and uh, I think it spoke to exactly what I think the film speaks to is that kids have always been the least of our worries <laughs> when it comes to acceptance. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when we have a Pete, we all have a Pete, we, we all grew up together. And one of the things I first saw when I, I haven't seen the full thing, I saw the preview, but one of the first things I saw were the cues of our childhood, uh, the cul-de-sac, uh, the, the, the shape of the roof, uh, the, you know, the, even the, the logo on the baseball helmet. And I guess the, 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 the story of this is that you, you played baseball with the boys. And that didn't go over well with some of the parents. Um, what was it like to grow up in an era um, when we might not have had that much language around boys versus girls and girls versus boys and that whole diaspora of sexuality? You know, I, 
thinking of the film and Brett has asked me these questions a hundred times. Uh, my wife, uh, you know, in preparing me for such questions, we really had to dissect kind of my own childhood. The seventies, I'm guessing we all grew up looking at everybody right now in the same, it, it's a kind of a fantastical time period. Um, in my opinion, um, coming out of the 60s and the 70s. I, I, Even though the absence of the language, I think it felt to me growing up in like the suburbs of Orlando, Winter Park, um, that we were on the precipice of something great um, when it came to acceptance. And so even though the language wasn't present, that I think that's why the film was important to me because it, it, it showed you, um, in my opinion, kind of who ruined it. <laughs> so I grew up with a great childhood. I had a wonderful childhood with or without language. Um, I had full uh, allowance to be myself. And there's there's not very many examples of that being shut down or squashed um, from my community, the neighborhood I grew up in, my friends. You know, as long as I could catch the ball or occasionally take a punch, uh, it was all good. And uh you know, as long as I played by the rules that were the neighborhood rules, right? And those were don't tell or, you know, don't go crying home or whatever it is. Um, that was all fine. It wasn't about who I was or gender. Those those conversations weren't only not there because there was no language. They just didn't feel necessary. Right. Um, right. You know, that, that they feel so necessary now. Um, and that's unfortunate. So you necessary. Know, that, what means that, that we have to... Do the definition. We have to put a label on people. Is that what it it's is? Like, it's like it's being imposed on us from all sides to kind of identify as something. Um, and I'm probably not always as popular within even my own community around that. But I'm like, <laughs> I was seven. <laughs> I was eight. You know, who's imposing that I uh, anymore pick my haircut versus my uh, identity as a human? I haven't even quite come to terms you know, I, I feel I'm reluctant to answer that question, even as, as a 56 year old, you know, it, it feels an outside force. Well, I have another question then, because one thing that you said when we were together in Soho, having a cocktail celebrating, just, I was there, I had this beautiful moment of you being there after all that happened. And I just felt so much love in that room. You said something to me that I, I thought about it as, as it relates to identity. You said, you know, your parents said that you were the athlete and your brother Gordy was the artist. And it took you some time to digest that. So from that perspective, and from, I guess, anyone's perspective, maybe parents do intentionally, unintentionally put an identity on people. How does that, how do you work through that? Yeah, I mean, that that is the funny thing. Like, gender was never, uh, I mean, Ron, you know my brother. He looked like a girl and I look like a boy. And <laughs> there we were. Um, so we always said my mom had, you know, one and a half sons and I was the whole and Gordy was the, the half. <laughs> so uh, uh, I had not know, heard that. That's awesome. Well, she wanted six boys and we were like, you got one and a half. You know, sorry, <laughs> so, um, but, uh, you know, it is true. It is, I think, you know, it, it's probably even worse today, that unintentional thing, you know, with Facebook and social media, you, you, you label your children pretty early, you know, as smart or kind or, you know, um, you know, and it definitely was, you know, our, our natural instincts as children put us in those two categories. Um, 
so I think I didn't really think about it until I became an adult and realized that I'm not all that competitive. (laughs) You know, I like playing things because I like being active. Um, But as soon as I got out of college, I'm like, I don't think sports define me anymore. Um, But figuring out what did, considering to that label or that identity that I certainly didn't think arts um, was it because my brother had filled that category. Um, And so well, you know, so uh, it took years for me to, and, and, Brett, my current, my wife, um, to, to realize that, you know, I I had some of that in me. Well, I was just going to say one of the themes of Swan Dive and the idea of pivoting to identifying and pivoting to your vision of yourself is, is defining your own story. You know, this idea that our stories are ascribed to us by our parents or our environment or just the ether as kids and then one day when we're grown up, quote unquote, you know, we, we say, well, does that story serve me? Is that story true? Has that story simply changed or is that story sort of um, become antiquated? Uh, and the quest we're all on is to find the true story, live that story, amplify it, uh, enjoy it. Right. And it sounds to me like especially when you said something so powerful that you know in that theater was one of the most vulnerable times you've felt in your life well to me as an artist that just says success success (laughs) success like you put it out there legit and here you are at the tribeca film festival with a theater full of people like like you know seeing your truth on on, unfettered um i mean that's magnificent and my, my bravo to you, because the story that you're unfolding um, is, is teaching the world, you know, important things. And I, I think it takes a lot of courage um, and soul searching to get to a place where you can do that and, and sit there and feel that vibe of the room. So um, it's really, really beautiful. It's very magnificent what you've what you've done. And it changes the whole paradigm of what vulnerable means, too, when you put it that way. Vulnerability, when you just described you were vulnerable in that room, is just probably just a narcotic of sorts at some point, right? Yeah, it still is, you know? I sat in another room last night with a different audience, and um, it's not getting any easier. I thought it would get a little bit easier to be vulnerable, but um, depending on who's present um, and uh, and the vulnerability now is taking a level of, you know, now that I'm kind of used to seeing a, a little snapshot of my life um, on a screen. Now I'm like, is anybody going to like it? <laughs> you know, Are they going to hate it? So now it's another level of uh, angst, you know, and vulnerability around. Yeah. But isn't another synony- isn't vulnerability synonymous with truth and honesty and uh, clarity? I mean, yeah. all the things we sort of strive for, um, uh, both as humans and certainly as creatives. I mean, you try to get to the place where you are vulnerable because that's the soft that's the the soft underbelly that's the guts of 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 the of the life, right? So, so, so how long? was this film Pete inside you? How long did you have that? Yeah. Well, you know, as a, I taught lit, I'm a literature teacher and then a reading teacher. And, and now, um, I don't get to teach as often. I'm a Dean, but, uh, um, 
you know, I, I think as a teacher, you you naturally become an oral storyteller um, as you t- relate to your kids or, or you teach the arc of a story or so this story has lived there um, for a long time, you know, and, and I think uh, truthfully, Brett got tired of hearing the story um, <laughs> among so many others that I just I, I have. Ron can attest I have such a fond memory of my childhood that you know I share it constantly with Brett um we grew up very differently uh so I think she was like okay that's it we're putting this story (laughs) down we're gonna do this story um you can stop talking about these and there's so many others that she's just like so it's been there for forever uh I think since a moment but it's interesting thing I didn't have all the pieces I only had a um an eight-year-old's memory my mom shielded me from the the negativity um, that she experienced. I mean, she did a very good parental job. Uh, so it was in interviewing my mother that the whole story, um, I was able to put all the pieces of the feelings and then what really happened together. It was just a uh, a feeling I had as what was occurring in the stands. So my mom was able to piece those. She made the story complete, I guess. Hmm. So what, what is your swan dive in life? Well, I'm not inherently brave. So um, I think uh, the reason I'm here today is definitely meeting Brett. Um, I was very much in a life that is exactly had checked off outside of being queer. I had checked off all the American dream boxes. Um, job, <laughs> uh, child, house, um, partner that had loved me and uh, was a good relationship, uh, was solid. And, you know, we paid our bills and I mowed the yard and did all those things <laughs> and, um, had cookouts, you know, it was, it was idyllic, you know, and then I met my partner at a birthday party and, uh, I quit my job <laughs> and I, I, without a plan, and um, uh, it was a, it was in that moment I was either going to live authentically, um, or not live very well, uh, mm. despite what on the outside looked really lovely. Um, so, did that figure out how to create a divorce in a world that had no rules around it at the time? It was pre-gay marriage um, for my first partner, and create a settlement and a way to raise a child together. And, um, and I jumped and then took me six years to get all the way to San Francisco. And, uh, again, not inherently brave. Um, but really the, the alternative scared me to death. Hmm. Um, did you, so that was my dive. Did you feel the same sense of vulnerability going through that dive or was it different? Um, you know what i take that back that earlier moment (laughs) flying across the country for the first time to uh meet a person that we had only spoke on the phone about what had occurred when we met um there was no other uh real interaction with us except for on a phone and then flying three thousand miles to meet that person was the most terrifying Hmm. uh moment of my life she could have changed her mind by the time i got here but did you have clarity on that flight i mean were you just like you knew 
I absolutely knew. Uh, you know, we joke around all the time. Um, you know, your swan dive, my swan dive for me is both my worst moment in life and my best moment in life, leaving a lovely person and, and risking everything I had worked hard for. Um, at, and not feeling like a very good person, you know, when you meet someone else. Um, so trying to balance my worst moment and my best moment all at the same time. But in that, I found that clarity. Um, you know, wow. my wife and I joke all the time that I simply wrote her and said, I wish we could have talked a little more. And she wrote back, I think I'm in love with you too. I said, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> or but here you? we are. Here wow. we are 20 years later. And uh turns out, you know, she's my dive and she makes all these things, you know, happen. And I should point out, Brett Parker, your your partner, your wife, uh, is an accomplished voice actor and works at Pixar, works there for, has worked there for 20 years. And that was really why that that film, when when people get to see it, uh, it has that buzz light year look i mean it is polished it's beautiful it's art uh and uh she gave you some really damn good voice coaching she did and she <laughs> <laughs> right here right here in this closet uh, so no she she's it and and she can take uh, a lot of conversation over a beer at a pub and turn it into a project she really she doesn't settle for like just keep talking about it. She's more of a, you know, get it done. Petey, um, so you, you fly to San Francisco. I, I swan dove out to San Francisco too for spent 10 years out there in late nineties in the early aughts. But so you get there, you re you have your reunion. Um, so life's not linear. Uh, I mean, you land, you, you, you know, you hug, you kiss, and now you're there. Give us a little bit of the emotional landscape in those first few months, because I suspect that well, you probably went through a gamut of feelings, right? It wasn't just oh, roses and sunshine. It was insane. And again, you know, I had a, a, a five-year-old um, at home in Orlando. with, uh, So I didn't stay for that right. time. I, I went back. We commuted long distance for six years while I figured out um, how to be in the same state with my son. Uh, I wasn't going to be... I felt bad enough about that other half of that swan dive that I was certainly wasn't going to leave um, him. Right. So, uh, you know, there were so many emotions. Uh, I, I quit teaching so that I could continue to, it was like a, it was like a repeated swan dive over and over again. So every time I got on a plane for six years to go try to, how to figure out how to make this work from so far away. Um, and I'm, I'm probably in a, the luckiest human on the planet because my <laughs> ex got up one day and said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen two people do. Um, and our son was getting ready to start middle school. And she was like, you people are insane. She was like, I don't even like Orlando. I'll move to San Francisco so you guys can all be together. Wow. And, uh, wow. she moved out here. <laughs> and so... You know, like 10 years after that, we end up on like a Chevy commercial for like the new family. <laughs> awesome, man. <laughs> the new us or something silly. Um, so, yeah, I'm like absolutely in that manner. So lucky. Uh, so then I got to have I got to have everything. Mm. What's it like being an accomplished filmmaker now um, after being so long an educator and a storyteller? What's it like? This is your second movie. This is. Yeah. What's it like? What, do, what does it feel like? 
you know, it feels amazing. <laughs> um, I think the most amazing part I'm learning is this is the second project. The first one was in Frameline in 2019. You know, Brett and I, uh, we set out to tell um, stories that speak to us and, um, and they're quiet. They're quiet stories. And uh, we've made a conscious decision that uh, I want to mirror my own life, which is full of happiness and, and, you know, like any life, it's not linear. There's been ups and downs and loss and all those things, but it's also wonderful. And um, so we want to mirror those feelings that not everything is, is so depressing or not hopeful. Um, So I think the best part of getting to do, to do this is the first time I'm having a storytelling relationship with adults. Um, I've been telling stories to children ad nauseum. They're probably sick of hearing it too. Um, but the first time I'm having that relationship with adults and right now, I think the the best part of having the, the luck to do this uh, is uh, someone does come up to you randomly every once in a while and tells you, thank you. Um, gives you like a big hug and you're like, Oh my God. Yeah, really? My story, uh, that's that's the most wonderful thing. If someone can give you, a, like just the other day I, for the other film, the man was like, can I give you a hug? And I was like, oh. yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, absolutely. And if, if that's, you know, meant that to someone, then I'm feeling pretty good about this decision. And that other uh, movie, uh, that other film is a documentary called uh, Through the Windows. The first gay bar with windows. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, tell us about how that came about. What was going on there? Um, you know, I moved here and uh, I like a pub <laughs> and I like that. So I tried every pub in the neighborhood to find where I thought maybe could be my afternoon beer or something after work and uh, landed on this place and it's on right around the corner and full of these grumpy old guys, some more grumpy than others, and uh, got sitting there, you know, day after day, not every day, but, uh, (laughs) you know, after work or having a beer and uh, started hearing their stories. And there's a joke about the bar that it's only old guys, but turns out they started going there in like 1972 and just never left. (laughs) So (laughs) they weren't, you know, they had these amazing stories. Like one guy was the son of Justice Warren. I mean, the grandson of the Warren Commission war, and I'm like, what? You know, and uh, you know, he's a a judge, and all these there's architects and judge and screenwriters and all these um, elderly gay men who had these whole stories to tell. And I think when the first one passed away, and I realized his story went with him, that we might want to share share that. Ah, mm-hmm. so you basically are, are an archivist as well. In that, a way, as it turned out. <laughs> Capturing pivotal moments in meaningful lives. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. You have such a kind and gentle demeanor. And Ron was telling me about you and, you know, knowing you all your life. And um, so as a teacher, my mother was a teacher and teachers are the heroes of society. And and you have that immediacy in a classroom. As a storyteller, you have the immediacy. You can read faces. You can see if, you know, your story's landing. Um, it sounds, you said you're a dean now, I suspect you're more on the administrative side and then 
you're you're making films and that's sitting in a chair by yourself to a large degree but do you have, long for that immediacy and that that contact in a face full of kids or are you sort of you had it it was incredible and now you're in another phase of life do you do do you, can you have both you know i'm i'm hoping for both uh i uh i love i i hated i hated the quarantine uh my wife can Brett can work from home all day long she hopes that never go back <laughs> you know i uh, i lasted like 3 months and i was like get me out of here. <laughs> mm. Um, I really, really love, uh, kids. I think, um, you know, they, they give you all the hope you could possibly need. It's really a benefit to work with children. Um, cause you know, all the hope you can dream of in your life is, is right there in their faces. And, uh, so I, I, I absolutely adore it. I, I hope, um, I'm hoping to create some kind of inroad with them. I, I work at a school that's mostly, um, a marginalized community uh, of immigrant students and black and brown students. So I'm really hoping to, to create a writing inroad with them, a storytelling. They're, they're allowing me to teach one class a day again in um, reading and writing. So I'm hoping that uh, this might start something with, with the kids. Hmm. What school um, is it and where is it in, in town? It's called Paul Revere. Uh, it's a little pre eight. Uh, here in San Francisco, so little school on the back of a hill that no one pays much mind to. Because Paul uh, Paul Revere was so significant to San Francisco. Yeah, right. <laughs> the kids are like, it's Paul Revere Mustangs too, and they have no idea that a Mustang is a horse, and uh, <laughs> they're like, a car? Is that our mascot? It's a car. <laughs> oh, I love it, Petey. What's a what's a recurring dream you've had your whole life? Hmm. besides having long flowing hair uh yeah yeah um you know for me i definitely the dream for me is around i'm a, I'm a nervous i'm a nervous person uh that's a maybe that topic of our next <laughs> short might be get the hogs really easy which I, um, I, I'm inherently very uh, nervous and self-conscious. Um, so I think for me is uh, is somehow shedding that without losing myself. Um, because being nervous and insecure is, is something that's become part of my personality. And, you know, it's easy to tell a joke and self-deprecate. Uh, but somehow um, losing that, even if it takes seemingly forever since I'm in my mid fifties and I haven't quite shaken that. So the recurring dream for me is, is, is one that um, I'm braver than I am, you know, day to day. Mm, right. Stand up for myself and others. But you do see in the macro, like 50,000, you know, elevation, you do see how brave your life's choices are. Do you not? Y- you know, no, I, I think um, I think when you, you know, I knew exactly who I was as a child. I was much braver as a child to the world. Uh, it kind of takes that out of you a little bit when you don't look like everybody else or you don't, you know. So I think uh, bravery was thrust upon me a little bit at an early age because, I mean, let's be honest, I'm still super muscular. I still look like a boy. I still get chased out of ladies' restrooms, uh, only in the airport for some reason. Don't know why. Um, but uh, 
I think it can it can get into your psyche. And so uh, for me, like things like that people would say, this is a brave moment. You came out or you did this. You know, it was kind of thr- also thrust upon me. It was like it was already I mean, way before I knew what sexuality was, people were like calling me queer, you know, <laughs> you know, so it's like before I really could put my own words to that or my own emotions to that, everybody else had already made that decision for me. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that was very brave. I well, think was- but what about like just dropping your whole life to go chase love? Yeah, that was know? nuts. I mean, that that's, was- that's, <laughs> it is nuts, but you that's know, pure. if we weren't all crazy, we would go insane according to Jimmy Buffett. So you, you, you were going to go insane if you stayed in that life. And so you did something crazy and that's just pure courage. That's pure guts, you know, and trusting your instincts and, um, that's inherently brave. And, and that, that's, you know, you tell you that's the swan dive. That's the pivotal moment of your life. So very few people take a swing at the bat that big, you know what I mean? So good on you. Yeah. So what does that, you know, again, getting back to, uh, the best part of what we do is activating others. So how does, how does that translate? How's somebody that's sitting there, uh, by the barbecue mowing their lawn and just living their life, but I'll, uh, something's inside them how, how does it, how did, how do you activate? What is the step? What is a step to take? You know, there's so many pieces that come together. I think as a, as a teacher and I think I'm a pretty, I don't, I, I don't appear to listen well, but I think I pay attention. Um, I think all these kind of perfect pieces came together in that moment that lifted that decision up. One, I never dreamed to have a child. Those were not in the cards. Uh, I didn't grow up a one passed on my genetic code. B uh, just didn't know anybody else that had kids that looked like me, and and you know that was you know our son is twenty five, um, so that was new. And uh, so, really, after he was born, I didn't have any idea how I would feel about this little being. It was a decision that was going to happen with or without my consent you know it was gonna move forward one way or another it was a, a really passion of something my wife at the time my partner at the time wanted to do but the minute he was born um you know right. my mind just went in like every i mean i obviously well nine months i was like what on earth did i do I'm not doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. I was a horrible partner <laughs> during those times. And then this little person. And um, I, I, th- I think a lot of people say things like they they stay for a, a kid and it's the best thing. But simultaneously, this voice was in my head where someone had told me once the worst thing their parents ever said to them is they stayed for them. And then I'm like, I have so much responsibility to this very tiny, very quiet little man. And uh, what would I be showing him if I was so afraid? Mm. Right on. There's that courage word again, that you say you're not that brave, but damn it, you just demonstrated it one more time. So there you go. 
Um, here's the other question I'm sure you get asked all the time now after the films uh, and their success. Uh, and, you know, the one thing you, you just got to hopefully uh, everyone that's listening will see this and just the artistry that's there and the sweetness of the story. Because, you know, what we talked about, you know, we want to stay in a positive lane. So the other question is, what's next? Um. Uh, first, I, uh, you know, you mentioned Brett's been at Pixar for, for forever, um, qu- quarter century at this point and in animation and voice and different things. Um, we're hoping that this is uh, an avenue for her. She loves directing, uh, had a time of her life doing it. Um, and we honestly, uh, we have other stories in this. We want to keep this particular story alive, um, for a while as well. This first one was around sports. Um, and as much as that was my identity as a child, uh, to the conversation earlier, we were rarely single singularly identified. If we really think about it, there's much more to us, um, whether we're eight or 56. Um, and so there was certainly more to my life, uh, than playing baseball. <laughs> I was, you know, with m- my first basement at second base, you know, it, mm-hmm. it was more to that. I wasn't, even very good. Um, so uh, we want to show that we want to tell more of these stories that th- this continuation of this childhood that I so adore um, had lots of other pieces to it that, that paralleled also this story and in, in trying to see where I fit in as this little, you know, back then they would have called it a tomboy or, you know, what have you um, among other terms or words uh so i i think we have you know it's it's not just on the ball field you know there was a lot of other places for um this story to come to light and we're hoping you know people can see their own kids in this story if we don't if we don't keep it so one note um so we're hoping for a little series of pd tales oh, <laughs> of some version that's so awesome. that'd be goal number one the immediate goal that's so great that's awesome. What's one of the things what's one of the things you're most proud of? In regards to the film? No, in regards to your life. My life? However you, my... Wanna, how, however you want to answer it or interpret that question. Uh my son is the first. Again, you know, every day. I think he's well aware that I, I never knew and then I just would have a child and I still bug him like he's a little teeny kid. <laughs> um he would be the the first and foremost. And then um could you wait? Uh, hold on, because you need to give some accolades. Your son, the professional dancer, the the kid has just got some much talent. Um, just give a little more of of what your son's doing right now. He is. He's a good boy. He is a uh, he is a professional. He's a ballet dancer. Um, you know, I threw a lot of footballs at the kid and kicked. <laughs> I was your, remember I was mowing the yard while I was throwing a football at the kid. And like, I was like, yes, I have a son. I was all the things I wasn't supposed to be as a, a parent. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. He got to like five years old. He's like, man, can you quit throwing things at me? <laughs> quit trying to tackle me. I'm just going to duck. <laughs> I don't like it. That's and hilarious. I was like, oh, my, my, again, I was like, Oh, what did I just do? <laughs> so, and like right. you know, I had to go in his closet and get rid of all the football uniforms and mm. <laughs> all the stuff. So I was like, 
my bad. Sorry. Um, what would you like to do? And he's like, I don't know. Just stop throwing balls at me. <laughs> and uh, luckily, again, uh, Brett used to be a dancer. And she was like, you know, I think he's been dancing around the house a lot. I'm like, what? I didn't even notice. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know how to dance. <laughs> so mm. she, uh, she, she encouraged it. And it took like, we were still in Florida and took like one ballet class at some guy with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth let him dance and that was it he never stopped dancing and now he's a professional ballet dancer here in the city and has had an opportunity to travel all over i love it i love it so <laughs> I, I i just wanted you to pause on that one because <laughs> i'm proud of your son too <laughs> <laughs> so but and other than that um i don't know i'm getting used to saying i'm proud of me there you go. I like who I turned out to be. Yeah. I don't. That's a nice thing to say. It's a nice thing to hear someone say. Not many people say that. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to, to witness to. To let yourself do it. Um, that was one, you know, to enjoy it. You know, that's, I, I, that was one of the things I felt in New York back to that beautiful city was that you were able to enjoy your success. And that's something else that people, find hard to do because they're always on to the next thing. And I enjoy your sex success. And I am so proud of you, uh, you know, that, uh, that all this has happened uh, and that, uh, that I was able to be there in the city with you, man. It was just such a happy coincidence of life. And I just appreciate it. I appreciate you. Uh, and this conversation was just so lovely and uplifting for me. So thank you, PD Barma. Oh my goodness. Thank you guys. It's so much fun. How about a quick shout out? to um tell us you know tell our listener uh where to find it and what you know how, how do they how do they go and get in your stories well right now it's uh doing the, the film festival circuit and uh I, I think almost all the festivals have like a a virtual option nowadays and you know we live in a brand new world where it has expanded the audience outside of where it's airing so i think both tribeca and frameline offer that um for now that's you know where that's heading and then we'll, we'll we'll see after that um through the windows is actually still floating around out there we're we're hoping for like to be streaming soon um right. well pete barma uh with the uh the film pete and uh and telling stories changing lives, educating children, and being a fantastic mom, even though she throws footballs at her kid who just wants to dance. Thank you for being a part of Swan Dive. Thank you, guys. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a swan dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website, www.swandive.us.